0: It's October 26th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, developing news out of Washington, D.C. The FBI had over 40 confidential informants over the past 10 years who were reporting on possible Biden family crimes. Details on that shortly. Second, the White House is warning that if Iran harms U.S. troops in the Middle East, America will respond. But the White House has already confirmed that Iran did attack U.S. troops in the Middle East recently. I'll explain that disconnect and the implications in a bit. Third, if you have ever wondered how the world's poorest migrants are able to finance their trips to our southern border, I've got part of the answer for you. The country of Nicaragua is allowing charter planes to fly them in. Fourth, sales of electric vehicles in the United States have just hit a wall recently, and Toyota's chairman is responding and telling his fellow automakers, I told you so. I'll explain why he is gloating in about 15 minutes. But first, before we get to our top stories of the morning, two pieces of breaking news from last night that are on my radar to explore for today. First is the election of a new House speaker. Mike Johnson of Louisiana is his name. So I am exploring his background and beliefs and priorities, of course, with an eye on how he will govern. So overall, my initial read is that he is a generally affable guy, quite conservative on social issues, traditionally conservative on budgetary issues. But let's see. Regardless, he's got a lot on his plate to include advancing a bill to fund government operations. He's got about three weeks to do that. So I'll keep exploring Mr. Johnson and his background and bring you the facts and data probably early next week. Second, early reports this morning suggest that the United Auto Workers Union has struck a deal with Ford Motor Company. And if so, that is certainly good news. Some 40,000 people have walked off the job in protest over the past six weeks. Thousands more laid off. So let's see what this deal is, if or whether it might apply to other auto companies, and ultimately, whether union workers will back it. They've got a vote on whatever deal is out there in the coming days. More to come. With that, let's get to our top stories of the morning. First, developing news out of Washington, D.C., folks. The FBI had over 40 confidential informants over the past 10 years who were reporting on possible Biden family crimes, dating all the way back to when Joe Biden was vice president. That is according to Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, who announced yesterday that his office has been in contact with multiple FBI whistleblowers who allege that these 40-plus informants were sharing allegations of corruption and illegality by either Joe Biden, his brother James, or his son Hunter. The question, though, is whether the FBI properly investigated these claims of these 40-plus informants. Senator Grassley says that the whistleblowers are telling him, no, the FBI did not in some or most cases. So here's the quote. Based on the information provided to my office over a period of years by multiple credible whistleblowers, there appears to be an effort within the Justice Department and the FBI to shut down investigative activity relating to the Biden family, end quote. Mr. Grassley then laid out the case of what the whistleblowers are alleging. Of course, they laid those out in a letter to the Attorney General Merrick Garland and the FBI Director Christopher Wray. Mr. Grassley is now demanding answers from those two men about how these allegations from these 40-plus informants were or were not investigated. And indeed, he cited examples where they were not. I should tell you that in this letter are new examples. They are different than those that were revealed by Mr. Grassley over the summer. In fact, I shared those with you back on June 6th and uh, July 21st, actually. But to refresh our memories of what happened over the summer, there was a longtime FBI informant, who said that Ukrainian firm Burisma Holdings gave both Hunter and Joe Biden $5 million apiece to help change U.S. policy to the benefit of Burisma? Now, if you recall, Mr. Grassley revealed that over the summer, and in response, the FBI was absolutely outraged that he did so. In fact, the FBI said that it risked the safety of the informant. But to date, there has been no answering of Mr. Grassley's central question that he asked over the summer and again yesterday, and just a clarify he's asking did the fbi investigate this information or just shut it all down well as of this recording the white house has yet to respond to mr grassley's latest letter but i think it's fair to say that they will probably deny any biden family impropriety certainly no crimes ever committed by mr joe biden himself i'm sure that will be their statement so those are the latest facts and data about this developing story in the ongoing biden family corruption saga let me pivot briefly to my analysis and opinion on this, although I'll simply emphasize your opinion on this. So, a couple of weeks ago, there was a poll from the Associated Press asking Americans if they thought that Joe Biden had engaged in illegal or unethical conduct regarding his family's business dealings. And nearly 70% of you all, 70% of you all, answered yes. That includes about 40% of Democrats and 97% of Republicans. So I'll hold off on further uh, analysis of this latest Grassley letter and his allegation of these 40-plus informants. I want to get reactions first from the Department of Justice, the FBI, the White House, and I also want to explore these 40-plus cases of illegality, if I can. But in the meantime, I want to offer you all this. In the transcripts are links to three very good articles on the Biden family and their business operations, both in the U.S. and abroad, They cover Joe, his brother James, and his son Hunter. And I'm flagging these for you because they're from Democrat-friendly media outlets, including one by the New Yorker magazine, another is by Politico, and a third is by the Washington Post. And that's relevant because if there were to be a bias in favor of Mr. Biden and his family, it would certainly be from a Democrat or leftist outlet like those that I just mentioned. And yet, in this case, those three covered some pretty dirty details of the Biden family in a relatively honest way. So for paid subscribers, I would encourage us to read those pieces as we have time and think about the Biden family's business entanglements as we know them throughout history, as we now consider these latest allegations by these FBI whistleblowers and these 40-plus informants. Because these articles would lend credence, I think, to these whistleblower claims, That, of course, the Bureau and the Department of Justice have engaged in a years-long racket to protect Mr. Biden and his family. More to come. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. Joe Biden warned the country of Iran yesterday that if they harm any U.S. troops in the Middle East, America will respond. This comes one day after the White House already confirmed, though, that, in fact, Iran did attack U.S. troops in the Middle East recently through some terrorist groups that they fund in places like Iraq. So that is a disconnect. And that disconnect is raising questions about what exactly has happened to our troops, whether Mr. Biden was apparently confused or perhaps, and whether these attacks on our troops could be used to justify greater escalation against Iran directly to include war. So let's talk about what we know starting with the remarks made by the White House on Tuesday. White House spokesman John Kirby said that over the past week there have been an increase in attacks by the terror groups known to be organized, funded and directed by the government of Iran. Here's the quote. We know that Iran is closely monitoring these events in Israel and in some cases actively facilitating these attacks against US personnel in Iraq and Syria. And spurring on others who may want to exploit the conflict for their own good end quote mr kirby then said quote, we know iran's goal is to maintain some level of deniability with these attacks on u.s troops in the middle east but we're not going to allow them to do that end quote so to clarify what mr kirby is referring to here is more than a dozen attacks on several thousand u.s troops in both iraq and syria They remain in those countries as a part of America's counterterrorism operations in the region. In fact, over the past couple of weeks, Iran-backed terror groups have launched drone strikes, missile attacks on U.S. troops with more than 20 service members reporting injuries to include traumatic brain injuries or TBIs. In fact, the Pentagon said on Monday that these attacks are expected to grow. And that helps explain why America is sending over more anti-missile systems and that USS Eisenhower strike group to the Persian Gulf that I shared with you on Monday. So that's the first part of this story, right? We know that Iran has already attacked U.S. troops in the Middle East through their proxy terrorist groups with plans to do more of it. And that takes us to yesterday. Mr. Biden was at the White House with the Australian Prime Minister, and he said this, quote, My warning to the Iranian Ayatollah was that if they continue to move against those U.S. troops, we will respond and he should be prepared, end quote. So the disconnect then is apparently whether those previous Iranian attacks on our troops have crossed a line for Biden, or if not, we should be asking ourselves what kinds of future attacks will. And that's important to ask and to understand. Because when he says that America will respond to these Iranian attacks, well, that could include strikes inside of Iran. And that would be certainly a very clear step towards a direct war with the leaders in Tehran. So those are the facts and data this morning on Iranian attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. Let's step back for just a moment and remind ourselves of something. There was a brief that I gave you back on October 3rd. I told you about a very small little island in the Indian Ocean called Diego Garcia. It's controlled by Britain, but our military has a long-term lease there, and we use it for military operations in the Middle East. So that island is very important for us to remember this morning and to watch as this possibility of striking Iran grows. Because if we do hit back at Tehran, it could be from that little base in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Second, If we were to get into a war with Iran, God forbid, my general assessment is that Iran would lose a conventional war with the United States, but they would bloody us badly, especially because of those Hezbollah sleeper cells that I've told you about previously that that operate all throughout America. They quietly exist in most major U.S. cities, especially in Michigan, California, and throughout the East Coast. Third, and finally, this Iran threat and this possibility of a direct war it's likely to ramp up in the hours and days after Israel begins its likely ground operations into the Gaza Strip. I've shared with you previously that such has been delayed, but Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday announced that it will still happen, just no date announced yet. I suspect that it will probably be over the weekend or into next week, and that's because there are reports that Netanyahu has agreed to wait until the U.S. gets its full arsenal of missile defense systems to the Middle East to protect those U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. So the point is, folks, the next week could be a very tense one, certainly worth our time to keep a very close watch on the news for the latest, whether that be from Israel or Iran or that little island of Diego Garcia. More to come. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks, and we'll be right back. Folks, I've mentioned to you that to put this podcast together, I work upwards of 12 hours a day. Now, that doesn't leave me much time to cook, and that is why I have been so grateful for America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit called Factor. These meals come fresh, delivered right to your doorstep, and take two little minutes to eat. Now, if you are skeptical like I am, I was at first thinking, eh, this stuff is gonna taste like airline food. But no, sir, no, ma'am. These Factor meal kits are good. And Factor has a wide variety of meals to choose from, folks, covering lunch and dinner and some very good breakfast options, too. Portion sizes, by the way, are appropriate and modest, making them perfect as a nice meal or a hearty snack for hungry guys like me. Bottom line, folks, you know that I take great care when endorsing products, and I sure do with this one. Factor is my go-to option for when I am just too darn busy to cook. That is why. You must head to factormeals.com slash right five zero. Right? Use that promo code right five zero and you're gonna get fifty percent off. Again, that is factormeals.com slash W-R-I-G-H-T-5-0. And you're going to go and get 50% off, folks. What a deal. Go there and get this stuff today. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl in a bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by GhostBed. Seriously, folks, Ghostbed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. I had their Luxe model, and I bought it because I sleep hot. And that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now, people have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know. Magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? Probably. But it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top-notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period, plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T, and you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their GhostBed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, Go to ghostbed.com backslash Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Wright Report. Let's continue, shall we, with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards a mix of domestic and international news. And we start with this. Many of you have written me over the past year or so asking, how is it possible that poor people from around the world are able to get to America's southern border? How do they pay for that journey, especially as some migrants are flying all the way from Africa or Asia? Well, great questions, and we are getting some more details this morning. And here they are. The country of Nicaragua is encouraging private charter companies to use Nicaragua's airports to fly in migrants from all around the world. Then after they get dumped off, the migrants then hop on trains or buses to transit north, of course, on their way to our southern border. Let me just give you one example there have been uh, 268 charter flights from the country of Haiti to Nicaragua since just the beginning of August. In fact, over just the past weekend, Nicaragua allowed in 27 charter flights from Haiti. That's just over two days. And that helps explain why there have been over 100,000 Haitians who have then marched north to our southern border and crossed over illegally in just the past year. Now, here's something else that you should know. One of the charter companies, it's called Sunrise Airways. They said that the tickets to pay for these flights have been underwritten in many cases by, quote, third parties, end quote. The spokesperson for Sunrise Airways would not say who those third parties might be. For what it's worth, the other charter airlines involved include companies called Sky High Aviation Services, Air Century, and Euro Atlantic Airways. Now, if you're wondering why Nicaragua would do such a thing, well, it's because the president, Daniel Ortega, is an avowed Marxist with a very long history of fighting against the United States. The Biden White House has tried to work with this guy over the past couple of years with no success. So what he is now doing is weaponizing the migration crisis by helping to facilitate the global travel of the world's poor or dangerous to then flood across our southern border. By the way, he's also probably benefiting financially from this, taking a cut of the profits. And if it's not him directly, it's his wife, who is the country's vice president, or his son, Rafael, who has been sanctioned for laundering the family's money from their various illicit schemes. So those are the latest facts and data out of Nicaragua this morning, helping us to understand one of the reasons for why America's southern border has fallen, and frankly, the country has been invaded by people from all around the world. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So let's talk about solutions, and let's do so by imagining that once again, you are in the White House serving as the president, and we are in the Oval Office, and I come in as your CIA director, and I brief you on this. And you say to me, Brian, what do we do? Well, here would be my counsel. First, we know the names of the charter companies involved, and we know where their planes are. So let's blow those planes up when they are empty sitting on a tarmac. Second, we also know the owners of the companies involved. We ought to arrest them or kill them, and I don't care which. Third, after we start blowing up the planes and the people associated with this migrant scheme, let's send a message to Mr. Ortega, a little note, and say, oh dear, we are so sorry to hear about the broken planes and the dead CEOs of the charter companies. You know, uh, Mr. Ortega, if you'd like to avoid the same fate and becoming a, a puddle of tomato juice, then knock it off. And then if Mr. Ortega decides to get lippy, well, blow up the stuff that he loves, like all of his homes and cars, his planes and his boats. And by the way, we would do it in one night or in one day. And then we would reach out to him again. Maybe we would send him some flowers for all the losses and say, if you'd like to talk business, wonderful. If you want to keep playing games, good luck. The point, folks, is that people like Mr. Ortega respond only to muscle, right? Not words. Not sanctions, not pleas to get to the root causes of things, they respond to muscle. So you punch him in the face, you break his kneecaps, and then you talk. As ever, however, the only way that that is going to happen is if you got somebody in the White House who understands this, which this morning we do not. So as ever, I would encourage us to keep this in mind as we prepare to vote in the upcoming election and primaries. Because ultimately, it is about deciding what kind of leadership you want in the White House. With that, we wrap up this morning's episode with our final piece of news. The chairman of Toyota Motor Company is having a moment in the sun, a moment of, I told you so. And it has to do with the dirty green revolution. So to understand why Mr. Akio Toyota was gloating a bit yesterday. In fact, he was at a conference for Japanese automakers and he was gloating Well, let's talk about why, and we have to go back in time to do so. Last December, Mr. Toyota warned that the world's governments and auto companies were rushing into this adoption of electric vehicles when that just was not a smart idea. And he gave three reasons for it. First, he said poor countries around the world don't have reliable electricity to charge those EVs nor the necessary charging stations. Second, he said the world doesn't have enough minerals like the the lithium and the cobalt and the nickel to build all the required batteries. And third, he said that EVs were much too expensive for many markets, certainly poor countries, but also for working class people or in rural areas around the world. And that is why he explained that if the world were serious about climate change or reducing car emissions or pollution, we would adopt hybrids instead. In other words, those cars that have both gas and and, uh, electric engines. In fact, one of the things that Mr. Toyota loved to say was that his company could make eight hybrids with the minerals required for one electric car. Well, unfortunately for Mr. Toyota, he was roundly criticized for saying this stuff. Media outlets and environmental groups just blasted him, saying that neither he nor Toyota were uh, sufficiently committed to stopping climate change. In fact, the uh, Sierra Club and Greenpeace, they ranked the Japanese automaker at the bottom of their decarbonization ranking for years for their naughty suggestion that we should do use hybrids instead of EVs. But Mr. Toyota is having his revenge. Yesterday, he was asked about this. Parking lots of car dealerships in the U.S. are filling up with electric vehicles. And that's because buyers in this country increasingly do not want them to which Mr. Toyota said, quote, people in the auto industry are finally seeing reality, End quote. Indeed, they are. General Motors last week said that they were canceling plans to launch an EV truck production line. Ford Motor Company is now considering doing the same, scuttling a line for their F-150 Lightning pickup truck. Honda is also ending a very important partnership with GM to build electric vehicles in this country. All of this is happening because of poor market conditions. In other words, not enough buyers for these cars. Now, to be clear, it's not that no one in this country is buying EVs. Some are. It's just that demand is slowing, and that is in no small part because of what Mr. Toyota has outlined. They tend to be very expensive, there are too few charging stations, and some people have range anxiety, as it is called. But one thing that Mr. Toyota has not mentioned is that buying an EV in the U.S. has become an expression of politics. Mostly, if you buy one, you're a Democrat. And we know that because of a study that came out this week from the University of California at Berkeley. They examined car registrations throughout this country, and they confirmed that EV ownership is concentrated in cities run by Democrats and specifically in the districts that are most heavily Democratic. Or if I could put it in the words of Ford's CEO, he said, quote, electric vehicles have become a political football, end quote, for what it's worth. Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, he attributes part of the the flatline in sales to the increase in interest rates. In other words, with new EVs running around $50,000 on average, financing one of them becomes much more expensive with a $50,000 car and an average rate of about six and a half percent for prime borrowers. One final note, Mr. Toyota said that Americans, like many people around the world, are actually better suited for hybrid cars. In other words, given our wide open spaces and a lack of charging stations, he has said that hybrids just make more sense than EVs. And there is an argument, a market argument. And that is because Ford Motor Company reported just three weeks ago that sales of hybrids, well, they were up 41% last quarter. Indeed, they're up 48% industry-wide. So those are the latest facts and data this morning as Toyota's chairman gloats about how he was right. And his peers and those environmental groups were wrong. So no analysis or opinion to offer you on this one. Just one brief reflection. The market is a wonderful thing. When it is allowed to speak instead of politicians with some sort of agenda, well, you can't deny what the market's telling you. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. We're going to wrap up a touch early today, no listener question. But as always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.